Father, you are uh, so such a blessing to us. You have so richly endowed us with your grace and your mercy and your very presence. And I thank you for that. Thank you for the kindness that you show to us and, and the relationship that you give to us with you. And as we look into these uh, uh, scriptures today and we ponder all of that, uh, help us to... Um, take it deeply and to to really see what your word has to say about your um, uh, reaching out to us and what that means to us and may it further inspire us Lord to to walk in your very presence in Jesus name amen <clears throat> the question I, I I put up there on the board um, who is man that you're mindful of him comes from the middle of Psalm 8. And so we'll be looking at that a little bit today uh, amongst a whole lot of other things. We are um, in the, the very last class of uh, this uh, spring session. And so uh, we'll be looking at... Uh, the, the building of, of uh, the temple, uh, the temple for God that, that Solomon actually built. And be looking at um, the, the fundraising, from the fundraising to the dedication, and then what that means to us as a people. And so uh, that's where we are today, just as a way of review. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Mike took us into the Davidic covenant. We talked about that. David, remember, uh, had the idea to build the, the temple uh, sitting in his palace that was really nice. And, and looking out and, and actually going to the place of worship was the tabernacle. It was um, a temporary structure, portable structure. And it had been moved around from place to place. Even um, during the time of Israel, it had been in Shiloh. Now it was in Jerusalem. And so uh, David, in, in this process of worship, he, he has this idea that I live in this really nice house. And yet we, still have, we have this temporary structure covered with, with animal skins and so on. That yes, it's nice in its own right, but it's, it's not enough. And uh, so his idea was to, to build a temple to God. And, and um, out of that, the conversation came up where God says, no, I have a different idea. <laughs> I, I want your son to build the temple, but I'm going to make some promises to you. And so uh, in that covenant, we saw that um, that you find in Second Samuel chapter 7. I will raise up a, your descendants and your descendants will be on the thrones uh, for for many generations. As long as they will follow after me, there will not fail to be a descendant of yours on the throne. It says I will establish your son's kingdom um, and he will be uh, a king uh, for his whole life. Um, and he shall build a house for my name. And that's what we'll be talking about today. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
and I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. And those, those are great words, a great covenant that um, God had made with David. And so that's how this whole process began. They began here of the building of the temple. And, and so we get into it. And, and as I've been processing, thinking about this, something I've thought about for a long time, probably you have as well. And that is that, do you ever wonder why God, in the glory and grandeur of his creation, um, chooses to honor us with his presence by going in, into this small structure? You know, there's this this small structure that, that he goes into that he's, he's willing to tie himself to uh, to meet with the people. Uh, why does God do that? God um, is the creator. He's the creator of, of the universe. And yet he's willing to go to this little small structure. And we're going to talk about that idea uh, a little bit. Uh, so if you turn with me to Psalm 8 to begin with this is where we'll start Psalm 8 we'll be looking at these items uh, but let's let's read it first he says it says O Lord our Lord how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens from the mouth of infants and nursing babes. You have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. What we see here is David, in writing this psalm, uh, brings out a perspective. I'm sure David had a great view at night of the heavens, seeing the stars and so on. And then he's very familiar with the, cre- the creation that he lives in, the environment in which he sees. And he, and he sees the, the genius. He sees the beauty, the grandeur of all of that. And he feels very small. That's very, that's very normal for us to feel, to feel very small, even insignificant and God is why is it you even pay attention to us and so this God who is so big who has made such big creation bigger than we can even see um, who is this God well he he describes him as being majestic um, and 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 so he sees him as, and then the, the point is well, God what do you think of us um, do you value us? And he answers that that question in in uh, how God, where God places man in the order of creation. 
And so uh, David has that that uh, right response or the right answers to that um, in, in how man is created and what man is assigned to do, what man is supposed to do in his function underneath God's authority. And so that is where it is, where we are. But I still sometimes wonder at, at, you know, what God must think to, you know, coming down through creation um, that he looks past the works of his hands. And when he looks at, at his, the things he has made, how is it that he can care about our little projects? Um, so I, I got some pictures of some of the stuff that he's made. Hopefully you can see those pretty well. Um, some of these things we don't get to see every day. Unless, of course, you have it on your screensaver. Um, but <laughs> but these are amazing pictures that are taken out in space, uh, some by the Hubble telescope. Uh, amazing creation that God has, has uh, brought into place. And then here we are on our tiny planet. And you zoom in and, and you just look at what's on our planet. And how amazing some of the things are that we can can see that we look at that they, when we go to see them we experience them we're in awe we're, we we have a hard time even taking it in the beauty um, the wildness the structure how it all just uh, forms and, and and operates the cycles of nature everything that goes. Uh, that, that we get to be part of an experience. And when you look at the beauty of these things, how can we make anything to compare to that? There is no way we can do that. And so um, we have our little projects. And sometimes I, I think about that. And the question comes to my mind is, aren't we just children playing in the dirt with sticks and stones? You know, all the stuff that we build, you know, we can build bridges, we can build hospitals, we can build skyscrapers, we can build amazing theaters, we can build, you know, all these things, highways and so on. And yet all we are doing is working with the materials that we get out of the dirt, right? And we're putting them together. And in all in all, we're just scratching the surface of our planet. And what we make is so trifling. We can't make living things. We can't make um, things of this kind of beauty, the beauty that is so awesome and so amazing. And yet Solomon would, it would seem be so audacious as to build a structure that God would be pleased with. That, that overwhelms me. And, and it makes me think that, that how is it that 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 could be? And yet God ordains this. This is actually something these are when Solomon builds this temple. These are God's plans, as we will see. And so God desired to do this. You see, from the. The, the gospel tells us from the beginning of history. That God is intimately acquainted with our ways. And he looks past all of his glorious creation to see us and interact with us. Think about that. The God 
outside of the creation looks through all of this, all of this space, all of those constellations, all of those planets, all of the stars, all into the earth, all past the mountains and the rivers and the oceans and so on to see us and to interact with us. God deliberately, purposely does that to interact with us. And so it makes me think that we, on the other hand, should be the people who look past all his glorious creation to see him and interact with him. The temptation sometimes, in fact, has been throughout human history is to get caught up with the creation, right? In fact, in Romans tells us that we substitute the creation for the creator. And what we need to be doing is as God looks past his creation to see us and interact with us, we have the opportunity to look past his creation, look through it, and see the God behind it and interact with him. That's the, that's the tunnel through all of that that God gives us, that we can have a relationship. And the temple that, that Solomon would build was really going to be a testimony of that. So we see in this interaction that we see that this interaction is personalized in the building of the temple because the temple was going to be a place for man to meet with God. So let's turn over to 1 Chronicles. Chapter 28. First Chronicles is right before um, Second Chronicles. If that helps. Yeah. We're looking at chapters 28 and 29. I'm just reading some, a few uh, verses out of this section. What we're going to see, first of all, this is the preparation for building the temple. This is going to be a big project. And so this is, is actually during, at the end of David's life, David is setting things up for Solomon to build a temple. And so the first thing uh, I want, to, uh, want us to notice is the empowering of Solomon. And so if you look at uh, chapter 28 and uh, verses 9 to 10, he, he gives some instruction to his son. He says, As for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now for the Lord as chosen you to build the house of the sanctuary. Be courageous and act. And then look over in verse, it should be verse 20. Uh, in verse 20, it says, Then David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and courageous and act. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. I think it's uh, an important point to, to bring out here that that David is telling Solomon, he's empowering him here. He's setting him up as to be the one who's going to lead this project. 
And what he's saying to them is, is to be courageous and act or take action. And I'm sure that in that, in those phrases, there's a sermon for someone to someday preach. Um, probably has been done, but, um, but that is something that, that speaks to our humanity, doesn't it? Sometimes we can, can be so intimidated by projects that we are, we don't really want to get started. And, uh, so David is, is really empowering and, and pushing Solomon for this. Then we have construction plans. And as we know, if you're going to have a building, you're going to have to have blueprints, right? You're going to have to have plans. You're going to have to know how it's going to start, what's going to happen and how it's going to finish. And so, um, we have construction plans and, and you can read those, uh, verses 11 to 19 or is, is part of the description of that. I just want to read a couple parts of those in, uh, first part of, of verse 11, says, then David gave to his son Solomon the plan of the porch of the temple. And it goes on to talk about all the plans for all of the, 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 the parts of the building that was going to take place. And look down at verse 19. It says, all this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the details of this pattern. So we find here that the plans begin with in the mind of God. And and he passes those plans on to David. And now David's passing those plans on to Solomon. And so um, we have the construction plans that, that uh, are, are being finalized here. And then we have materials and financing. You're going to go into a building program. You're going to have to have building materials. You're going to have to have financing, a way to pay for all of that. Not just for the materials, but for the labor as well. It's all going to have a cost. And so uh, read in verse 2 of chapter 29. It says, Now with all my ability I have provided for the house of my God, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, the wood for the things of wood, onyx stones and inlaid stones, stones of antimony and stones of various colors and all kinds of precious stones, and alabaster in abundance. And here we have David standing before the leaders of the people beginning a fundraiser. And so he's going to be challenging them, uh, first of all, with what he is giving and what he has set aside for the construction. And he's going to be challenging them, as we see, um, to to give themselves. The first part of verse 5 um, or the, sec- the end of verse 5, rather, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? And that idea is, who's going to jump in with me and give as well? Verse 6, Then the rulers of the father's households and the princes of the tribes of Israel and the commanders of thousands of hundreds with the overseers of the king's work offered willingly. And then in, in the next verse, it talks about how much they gave. And so there's this great offering that takes place. Verse 8, whoever possessed precious stones gave them to the treasury of the, of the house of the Lord in care of Jehiel the Gershonite. This is going to be another job that's going to be really important, security. Somebody's going to have to guard the treasure. And uh, if you look back in, actually, it's, it's uh, chapter 26. 
um, it gives more of a list of people who are assigned to this guarding of the treasury. Uh, these are all Levites. And one of the interesting uh, notes that I, that I saw in looking at that list is one of the officers in charge of the guarding of the treasury is a man by, na- by the name of Shebuel, who is a descendant of Moses. I thought that was kind of cool that, that Moses had a descendant that's still you know, one involved in doing things in, in, the, in the service of, of God. Um, but anyway, they have temple guards. They're guarding this treasury. Um, you know why? Because those people are made of the same dirt we're made of, you know, and, you know, you got to guard the money. <laughs> you always have to have, have locks on the door. Um, then in, in verse 9, the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they had made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David also rejoiced greatly. And so we have this, this offering that's given, that's provided for the materials and for the labor of the building of this temple. And then we see the purpose and perspective laid out um, in David's prayer. So, Let's read a, a portion of that and, and get a, a sense of what he is seeing in his purpose. So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, blessed are you, O Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord. And you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. And in your hand is power and might. And it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given to you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name. It is from your hand and all is yours. This is the sense of of right perspective. And this is a good perspective for giving, isn't it? That we remember that, that whatever we have is... We're just tenants and sojourners here. That this really all belongs to God. And so they were able to, with that mindset, give with a willing and joyful heart. And, um, and so that's how the preparations were made for the building of the temple. Next look at uh, the action then. Solomon does take action. And... Uh, and when he becomes king in his fourth year as king, the, the construction begins. <clears throat> so let's look over at First Kings chapter 6. And we'll read just some highlights of the construction of the temple. We'll start with verse 1. Now it came about in the 480th year after the sons of Israel came out of the land of Egypt 
in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, that he began to build the house of the Lord. As for the house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits, its width 20 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. I did think, it, it went through my mind that, you know, when David was getting the plans from God and God said, okay, I want it to be 60 cubits wide and 20 cubits, wa- or 60 cubits long, tw- 20 cubits wide and 30 cubits high, that David must have said, cubits? Does it really have to be? Why is it always cubits? Um, but I guess that's how God measures things in cubits. And so, you know, you got you to gotta go with him, you know. The rest of the world may go to the metric system, but God's sticking with cubits here. Um, anyway, um, that's the measurement. That's also the time frame for 180 years after they've left Egypt. This is, is where they are. Uh, verse 7, the house, while it was being built, was built of stone prepared at the quarry. And there was neither hammy, hammer nor axe nor any iron tool heard in the house while it was being built and so all the the preparation of the stones was done at the quarry and then they were brought over so you know what that takes that takes good measurements doesn't it you have to have have the right measurements get it all right because those, these are big stones when you get them there they got to fit and so um they're they're taking their time doing it right doing it as craftsmen and they're they're really doing the the work in a, in a good way the it's believed that the um the quarry was not that far away um just a few miles probably even less than a few miles they have there is in fact if you go uh, um do a search on solomon's temple um there are pictures of all kinds of things one of the things is of a quarry that's believed to be uh, the quarry that Solomon used for the building of the temple. And so uh, it's, it's rather close. But all of the, uh, the preparation of the stones was done at the quarry and then brought and they were set in place. Um, amazing construction, I think. Uh, <coughs> uh, verse 11. Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon, saying, Concerning this house which you are building, if you walk in my statutes and execute my ordinances and keep all my commandments by walking in them, then I will carry out my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So God responds, and and during this project is encouraging Solomon as to what's going to make this all work. And that is that this isn't just going to be a formality. You build the temple and everything's okay. No, you need to walk in my statutes. You need to follow my will. You need to look after me. And so this is a, this is a matter of the heart, right? It's not just some external uh, worship that so often we as human beings get caught up in. But this is the matter of our heart following along with God. And staying true to God. Look at verse 37. It says, In the fourth year, the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid in the month of Ziv. In the eleventh year, in the month of Bull, which is the eighth month, the house was finished throughout all its parts and according to all its plans. So he was seven years in building it. So that's how long it took. Um, And they got it finished. 
And then look over in uh, chapter 7, the last, the last verse there, verse 51. He says, Thus all the work that King Solomon performed in the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things dedicated by his father David, the silver and the gold and the utensils, and put them in the treasuries of the house of the Lord. Now, if you remember from when we did the study on the tabernacle, the tabernacle was basically a, a, was a pretty simple structure in that it had a courtyard. Inside the courtyard was the, 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 the tabernacle itself, and it had two rooms. It had the, the holy place and then the holy of holies. The temple is, has some similarity in that it has the holy place and the holy of holies in a bigger building, um, a solid building on a foundation. Um, but then it has a whole lot of extra rooms, um, storage rooms mostly. Uh, there's going to be some, some changing rooms for priests. There's going to be um, a lot of that that's also part of the structure that, that would get built. And so one of the things that they did, did was build a treasury. So once the, the, the temple was completed, they could put the treasury in. And as we're going to see in a little bit, when they dedicate it, they um, also move into one of the rooms. There's a storage room that was made especially to keep the uh, disassembled tabernacle in all of the uh, implements that um, were part of that. They ended up being stored there as something precious, something that, that was of value to them and would be kept there um, for as long as, as it could be kept. So uh, we have the building of the temple. And, and also there are laborers and craftsmen. We won't uh, go in and read a lot of that, but um, if you look in, in uh, chapter 5 and in chapter 7, it go goes into some detail about the craftsmen. And particularly chapter 7 gives the, the name of a person. His name is Hiram. He is from Lebanon. And uh, he is, his mother is Jewish. Uh, his father is uh, Sidonian, I think it was. Um, <coughs> but anyway, he is an expert in, um, in brass or in bronze. He's a, he's a bronze smith. And he's good at making stuff. And so um, Solomon uh, gets him to come and do a lot of the ornate uh, bronze working that is part of the temple structure. And that's all really interesting. And in fact, if you're the kind of person who loves uh, building things, whatever it is you do, as it was with the building of the tabernacle, so it is here. There's so many details of, of how it's put together and, and what it was that they made that um, it's very interesting. And, and also, if you do that Solomon's Temple search on the Internet, the, some of the pictures do show you some cutaways of what the inside look, uh, may have looked like. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing um, what it was that God gave them instructions to do um, in this uh, temple. It wasn't just a plain, four-sided structure. I mean, it's pretty ornate, and it's pretty amazing to see. Then we had opening ceremonies. Yes. It was, it was built on what today is called the Dome of the Rock. Was, right, that hill, the Temple Mount, right. The Temple Mount. That's what it's called. Mm hmm. So 
fairly close. It's 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 close enough that they could reasonably uh, bring the stones over from the quarry um, without having to call. They they've actually found. Um, in fact, if you go on that same search, it'll show you a picture of of um, of some of the the foundation that they've found uh, fairly recently, and so they do know. Um, from from the, the foundation stones, uh, they can get an idea. I don't know. I couldn't answer what how big the stones were. Right. And in fact, one of the, the pictures I saw, it was the, the caption underneath it was explaining just a little bit, but it was explaining how this uh, it was it was giving a contrast between the the. Uh, the foundation of the this temple and then the second one, which was inside it, so it's a little bit smaller. And if you remember from from Nehemiah. When the people saw that, no, Ezra, Ezra, when the people saw the temple, they wept. Uh, part of the weeping was to the fact that it wasn't as big, wasn't as going to be as nice. And so um, this this first temple was a little bit bigger. Now we know also that it was added on to by Herod. Herod the Great um, added and made it huge. And, and, and so it was a, a huge structure during the time of Christ. Uh, but with this uh, particular temple, it there the fact that that same place, the quarry, is also called a hiding place for one of the um, prophets. I forget which one that was hiding he, in that cave. Uh, um, hid their prophets had to hide um, at times. Um, so anyway, but but it's th- those are interesting parts of of um, the construction of the the temple well we have the opening ceremonies and we uh start off in in chapter eight of first kings uh solomon calls the leaders of the nation together and so they come together and there's this great going to be this great assembly of of people and then they they bring in the ark of the covenant and so in chapter eight Verse four, it says they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tent of meeting and all the holy utensils, utensils, which were in the tent and the priests and the Levites brought them up. So they've disassembled in preparation, the tabernacle. And on this day, they're they're hiking it all up and they have this big ceremony. It's, it's like a parade and it's in and they're bringing all this um, these uh, uh, artifacts up. Um, and they're offering sacrifices on the way. It's, it's just this huge celebration. So it's pretty amazing. Must have been an amazing sight. And uh, they're bringing it into 
the temple. The, the tabernacle with, with all of its implements will be put into storage. The Ark of the Covenant, however, <coughs> will be the one thing that remains to be taken into the Holy of Holies um, in the new temple. And then we see uh, how, the, how God responds and, um, in verse 10. It happened that when the priest came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So God looked through his creation and was pleased with what they did. Even though they're just men, they can't make anything like he makes. You know what? Man is also his creation. And so God was pleased with what they did and God filled the temple so much so that they couldn't even uh, continue their um, acts of worship there. They, they had to, to get out because the glory of the God was so great inside. Um, so that's God's response. Then we have uh, Solomon making an address to the people that are there. And in that address, he's recounting the purpose. And then he offers a prayer. And this prayer is amazing. So I want to look at parts of it. Um, but he restates uh, God's promises. He uh, gives attribution to God's greater glory. Um, he, he, uh, bring, he makes a point of the temple being a beacon of light to the world. And he also makes a large point about it being a place uh, to turn for forgiveness of sin. And he makes several points of that because we do that a lot. And and we need a place to turn for forgiveness of sin. Uh, Let's just look at a, a couple of things, though. Let's read in verse 22. In his prayer, he says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. He said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to walk to their way, to walk before me as you have walked. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father David. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house which I have built. Yet I have yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which your servant prays before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which you have said, My name shall be there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. And so he goes on to talk about prayers of supplication. 
and prayers of, of uh, asking for forgiveness. And um, then in verse 41, uh, how it relates to the rest of the world. He says, also concerning the foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, when he comes from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you, in order that all the people of the earth may know your name, to fear you, and do as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house which I have built is called by your name. In this prayer, we see an understanding that this temple is bigger than Israel, isn't it? It's, it's, it's something that's to be a light to the world. And the nation of Israel really was called by God for that purpose, to be a light for, for the rest of the world, to call people to repentance, to call people to faith, to follow after the true God. And so this was their purpose. And this was what they experienced during that time. And these must have been glorious years, amazing years. Uh, in the nation of Israel. There are some sad side notes <laughs> um, in regard to the temple. Uh, the tabernacle, as we, we saw at the beginning, um, they used that for 480 years uh, from the time of its construction until the, uh, the opening of the temple. 480 years with a tent. A, a temporary structure that was that was mobile, portable, that they could carry with them 480 years. The temple, the permanent structure built with great stones covered in gold, lasted for 420 years. And it was in 420 years that Nebuchadnezzar came in, destroyed it, knocked it all down. There was nothing left took all of the gold and silver and, and all of the valuable things back to his treasuries in Babylon. And that tells us something again about our humanity, that we can trust in all the wrong things and our focus gets in the wrong direction. And that is what happened to them. We read about the glory of the Lord filling the temple here and and how God was pleased to be there and to be with his people. Ezekiel uh, chapters 10 and 11 give us the account of the glory of the Lord departing from the temple. And what a sad story that is when you read through it and you see what's happening there, why um, it's happening and and how it is that God brings Ezekiel to see it. He's the only one that notices. Everyone else is too busy with their idolatry, with all of their distractions, with everything else. They don't even see uh, the glory of the Lord departing. And uh, so another uh, sad note to to this, and that God is not um, confined to a building. He goes where he chooses to go. And and he leaves when he chooses to leave. And, and so we, hear, we have here um, the second example then of that word Ichabod. Uh, remember we saw it 
back in um, Samuel's childhood, when we talked about Samuel and, 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 the, and the priest Eli and his two sons, and, and they took the Ark of the Covenant to battle, and the, and the Ark of the Covenant was taken, and the um, the wife of one of the son of one of the sons of Eli gave birth to a son and named him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. And th- we we see it again here that that God takes His glory away in Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel sees that. All right, here's uh, one artist's rendition of what it may have looked like. Um, and there's another one, a uh, little different. Yes. So when, when we read particularly about the Porsche or the Porsche, is that that's the concept of entry or the step that is still showing behind it? Is it being directed about the Porsche or is the Porsche actually the It would be, in, in this artist's conception, well, that one wouldn't really have it. It is. It begins with that. Yeah. The, the thing with the artist's conceptions, they vary. And, and I had another picture I was going to show, and then um, I deleted it because... I'm looking at it, looking at it, I think, oh, wait, this doesn't, you know, where's the courtyard? Where's the, you know, and, and, and they, I, they didn't have the, the altar out in the front. And they didn't have the uh, the big giant sea, the basin where they washed. And and uh, so I, even though it was a really nice picture, um, I, I took it out. So it the artist's conceptions don't always give us a, the greatest um, image. They They sort of just give us an idea. Um, applying John chapter 4 you remember Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and her question comes up about worship right and and Jesus says in her in response to her question about where it's supposed to be uh, he says you know salvation is of the Jews the Jews have had it right it is in Jerusalem Uh, that is where it is but he says the day is coming and now is when they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And what Jesus was communicating to her was it wasn't going to be just in Jerusalem anymore. In fact, it was going to be wherever people are. And and it's not about a place. It's about the heart. And and it's about how we prepare for that. First uh, Corinthians chapter three. We're not going to have time to to read all these verses uh, but these these passages, First Corinthians three sixteen, six nineteen, um, Ephesians two nineteen and twenty two, are really great references about the, about we being the temple of God, that we are that, that God has chosen to make His dwelling place in us. So it's not in a building in a certain city, in a geographical location on Earth, but it's throughout the Earth in in individual people. His dwelling is there. He's made his dwelling within the people. Um, another passage, First Peter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10, in case you want to write these down and look at them. 
Second uh, Corinthians, we can read this. And it says, for we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So we do have uh, this this transition of time where God has is has said, no longer am I going to be just in a building. But I'm going to be in people throughout the earth and wherever those people are, that is where my dwelling is. And so no longer do we then face a certain to a certain place on earth to confess our sins. But we go directly to the father uh, and we come boldly before his throne, um, seeking his grace and his forgiveness. And so that is is how things are different for us now. That's that's what changed with Jesus coming and Jesus being the final sacrifice as payment for our sins. That atonement has occurred. Um, I wish we had more time to actually have discussion on this. <laughs> but there is something about the specificity of the temple construction and worship that teach us about the worship of God. Um, I'll just give you the points I wrote down. How's that? It'll be faster. God takes worship seriously. We see that in, in all the specificity and so on. If he takes it seriously, we need to take it seriously. Uh, that is uh, incumbent upon us. For to worship in spirit and truth, that means we must prepare ourselves both for corporate worship and, and private worship. There should be preparation involved. That's part of taking it seriously, that we prepare our hearts for this, that we don't just walk into it casually. We, we take God seriously. We should see worship as the event that we participate in. Imagine people going, traveling to Jerusalem, bringing their sacrifices to worship God. That was their reason for coming to Jerusalem, was to do that. Um, they, they weren't coming to Jerusalem because it was a great resort town, and they could drop off their sacrifices, spend a little bit of time, and then go have fun, right? No, they were coming there because it, that was the event. And I, I, I'm afraid that sometimes we take our worship too casually, um, and, and so that uh, what we shouldn't be doing is seeing worship in whether it's personal or especially corporate worship as being something that we drive in, you know, spend the, the hour or two, and but it's kind of on the way to to the rest of our day, and 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 that's and that's what we do. I, that's not what the the pattern of worship that 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 God is inscribing. I think real worship it becomes the event. That's the main thing. Our God is holy. That means if we're going to come to worship, we have to be holy. And um, if we need to, we need to pursue the meaning of holy. If, if we don't understand it, then we need to find out what that means. What does it mean to be holy? Finally, um, worship is our greatest life experience. It's where we connect with the living God. 
who is willing to connect with us. It's our greatest life experience. You see, that connection with God, when we really begin to take in who he is, that he thinks, he creates, that he has way more awesome stuff than we have ever imagined, and that we have eternity to discover that. Our worship here on earth is just the beginning. We're just getting a flavor, a taste, just a whiff. But our time of worship is our greatest life experience. And the whole world is calling us to distract us from all that. We have many, many distractions, but let's not let that happen. But let's stay in spirit and in truth, focused upon it, because this is the real thing. This is um, our true connection with our creator, our designer, and the one who loves us and wants to be with us. All right, that's it. Um, I'm going to... If you didn't hear that back there, sorry. I can't repeat all of that. <laughs> it's too long. But, but, uh, but it is personal. And, and that's, that was uh, his, his point. It, and it's something that, that can be real for us. And let's not just keep it in a two-dimensional, on-paper formality uh, that we just go through. But let's let go of our heart. And be real in our worship. Be honest before God and receive his, his grace, his kindness, his interest. The mind of God who sees into us and loves us and, and wants to um, have that connection. Our part of that connection is worship. And that's what we do. When we worship God, um, we are connecting with the most amazing being that there is. Um, well, I'll close this in prayer, and then Mike's going to have a few words to, um, to finish this off. Father, I thank you for, um, for caring about us and, and having an interest in us and wanting to be with us. And Lord, may we be people that respond in kind and that, that we see past all of your creation, see past all of the stuff around us and see you and, and, and go to you and interact with you and be, be changed and cleansed by you. You're the giver of life. You're the sustainer of our souls. And so, Father, we want to just commit ourselves to that.
to be true worshipers, worshipers in spirit and truth. Amen.